All right. Good morning, Journey Church. How are you guys? Hey, if you have enjoyed the No Fear series, would you just let us know it? Let us know that you've enjoyed the No Fear series. You can do that by clapping. That's all right. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, so we're digging into the last part of the No Fear series uh, this week by looking at the most common fear in the world. And surprisingly, that fear is not spiders, but the most common fear in the world is the fear of death. Uh, Even macho guys who act like they are afraid of anything normally crumble at the fear that their life is about to be over. So hopefully, I'm going to give you the beginning at the end, hopefully when you walk out of here today, you're going to realize that if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, that you have absolutely no reason to ever fear death. In fact, it isn't anything but a shadow. Hey, do you guys remember the first time that, that you got really, really scared? Is there anybody in the room who remembers the first time? I'm a little odd. I remember the first time that I was ever terrified. Right? I'm sure there were times as a baby, I had two older brothers, so I'm sure there were times that, that my parents were really afraid because something wrong was happening to me. But I remember the first time as, at the age of six that I was just slam terrified and thought my life was about to end. I thought that death was coming for me. So my family and I grew up going to uh, a little small church in Kent, Alabama, named Bethlehem East Baptist Church. We actually have a picture of it. This is, this is Bethlehem East Baptist Church right here. It's where I grew up. We were always there. So we had Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, uh, Wednesday night church, and if they could fit anything else on the calendar, it was on there also. So we were always at the church building. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to a traditional Sunday evening service uh, where, where the pastor has already did one service, and then he goes home, he eats lunch, he comes back and he does another one, and, and generally he writes his message after lunch for, for that night because he's given everything he has all week for that first one. And so it's a little more relaxed. You can wear shorts. People don't stare at you or, or threaten to throw you out of the building, right? You come in in a T-shirt. And for a six-year-old, it's a great time taking out. So we would go. We'd be there every Sunday night, and generally every Sunday night I'd fall asleep. And so I remember specifically one Sunday night waking up and we're, we're wrapping up and people are leaving and my parents wake me up and they tell me it's time to go. Both of my brothers are there. We walk outside onto that porch right there and we're standing there and we're not going anywhere because it's a social atmosphere. Everybody's talking and, and we eventually roam off of the porch. It is pitch black. We walk into the parking lot where the only thing shining are, are two lights on power poles. And so we're roaming around in the parking lot, and at some time, my brothers leave me there, right? They they go off, and I realize that I'm by myself, but then I get this sense that somebody is there with me. Have you you guys ever had that feeling, right? You wake up in the middle of the night, you don't even open your eyes. You just know that there is a demon right here beside you, right? You open your eyes, and it's it's your child. They're sitting there staring at you. Not saying anything. That was me. I sensed that there was someone there, but I was too afraid to look. And so I give a little peek out of the side of my eye, and, and I, sure enough, I see somebody right beside me, and so I'm going to test it out. And so I move over here, and they move too, right? And then I go backwards, and they move there too, and I move forward, and they, they move forward. And I run about 10 yards, they run about 10 yards, and at that point, I'm literally shaking, and tears are coming down my face, and it's not this. Like I'm trying to stay quiet, right? The, the mouth is trembling, all that stuff that goes with being terrified. And I run up onto the porch and I grab my dad. And I go, someone is after me. They're after me. And he goes, there's nobody here. <laughs> and I said, no, there's somebody in the parking lot. And so we walk out into the parking lot. And, and I go, there they are. 
<laughs> and my dad starts to laugh. He goes, Daniel, that's your shadow. Uh, but I was terrified. Look, I was terrified of something that could do absolutely no harm to me. Absolutely no harm. In fact, the only power that my shadow had was the power that I chose to give it. And to take its power away, we made it a friend, and we named him Fred. And Fred still goes everywhere with me to this day. In fact, here he is, right here. He's here with us today. He's hanging out. He goes everywhere that I go. Listen, I want you to see death the same way. Death is like a shadow. It has absolutely no power over you if you have a relationship with Jesus. The only power that it has is the power that you choose to give it. Now, here's why we're talking about death in the first place. It's because your view of death and your view of eternity will determine how you live. Your view of death and your view of eternity, in a large way, will determine how you live. So it will determine how you operate as a husband or a wife or as a dad or as a mom or an aunt or an uncle. In a large part, your view of death and eternity will determine how you take care of your body. It will determine... Uh, how you treat people. It would determine how you act in the grocery store and how you act in the restaurant. It would determine lots of things in life. And so we're going to look at it. We're going to dive into it today. Think about it, that, that, that if you're an atheist, and in fact, atheists would say that there is no God, and that one thought, that one thought determines a lot of what they do with their life. And, and there are people who think that you can be reincarnated, right? So that determines the way that they live their life. And the thought is this, is that if I live really good, then when I come back, I'm someone better, like maybe, maybe I'm Bill Gates' oldest son, right? Maybe I come back as him. And if I live bad, then I'm something worse. So maybe I come back as a fire ant. And that would determine a lot of the way that they live their life. If you're a Muslim, then they believe that at some point you will die, you will stand before Allah, and He will weigh the good you did in life with the bad you did in life. And the outcome of that trial, if you will, determines where you spend eternity. And now for us as believers... We put our trust in Christ and we use Him as our authority and we trust Him as we step into eternity. So here's a few things. So we're going to look at what Scripture says about death. We're not necessarily curious about what other people think or what other people do, but we're going to dig into what the Bible says. And so I'm going to share with you three things real quick. We're going to be in here for about another 30 minutes and we're going to see God change some people's lives this morning. So here's a few things that Scripture shares about death. And the first one is this, it's that death is certain and it's permanent. Death is certain and it's permanent. Look, the statistics are amazing. It is one out of one people that die, right? Every one of us. If we are here uh, before Jesus comes back, if our life comes to an end, each and every one of us at some point is going to experience death. But as a society, we will do almost anything to ignore the fact that one day we are going to die. Whereas if we would just accept it, it would change the way that we live. Think about, think about everything that we do as a society to ignore the fact that our bodies are going to break down and they are, at some point, they're going to cease to exist. Uh, we have people that will invest a ton of money in Botox, right? I don't need that yet, but, you know, one day maybe. You got crow's feet right here around the eyes. Maybe. So you get a little Botox so that you look younger because you don't want to think you're getting older because the older you get, the greater chance it is that your life is closer to being over. We have people that will spend tons of money on gym memberships just so they think that they can get their body in such good shape that they might get just a few extra years out of it so that they won't die. But the truth of the matter is, is that all of us at some point will die. We will cease to exist. One of the first funerals 
had a chance to be a part of was with with a lady that uh, had helped uh, she had helped take care of of my grandmother as she was getting older and her husband passed away and so she asked me to be uh, a part of the funeral and so we go and there there's four pastors that are going to be a part of the funeral listen it if you are writing out a plan for when you pass away, do not include four pastors, right? That's just, that's torture and mean to the people that are there for the ceremony. But there were four. They wanted us all up on the platform together. And so we're all lined up on the platform, and we're sitting one by another, and I get to go first. And so I walk up to the podium, and I share for about five minutes just about the guy, about the way he has impacted my life. And the next pastor stands up, and he shares a little bit. And the next pastor comes up, and he shares a little bit. And then the lead pastor of the church we were at walks to the podium, and before he shares, he goes, you guys, we're going to have a special song, and uh, Sister Bertha is going to, uh, she's going to come sing for us. And so I'm looking around, and nobody stands up. <laughs> and he goes, well, I guess Sister Bertha couldn't make it. Is there anybody else that wants to sing? <laughs> Open invitation, right? And sure enough, a lady stands up, and she, got, she walks to the front, she sings the song, she goes, she sits back down, and there's like this, this 10 seconds of just, pure awkwardness where nothing is happening and so i'm kind of looking around and there's nothing professional about me at this point i'm 17 18 years old and so i'm literally just like what is what's going on who's supposed to be going pastor walks back up and he talks about the guy in the casket for one sentence he says eddie was a good guy and he gave a lot which is more than some of you can say and for the next 20 minutes he preached about tithing (laughs) acting as if death never even existed. Listen, even sometimes us as pastors want to feel like death doesn't exist. But look, I'm telling you, just up front, right here, I want you to know this before we move on. You cannot get away from it. You can't get away from it. It doesn't matter how good a shape you're in. It doesn't matter what you do with your life. It doesn't even matter how you act. At some point, your life is going to come to an end. It will cease to exist. It is absolutely certain. You can't get away from it. You cut the news on And it's death after death after death after death. Let us tell you something bad that has happened because that's what drives ratings. And so watch this. I want to remind you, there's more people who passed away today, right? There was a shooting here. There was a shooting there. There was a car wreck here. And it's a reminder over and over and over and over again. There's a site on on, on the World Wide Web that wants to remind you every day that, that death is going to happen. In fact, they have created a death clock. And so you go on there and you put in some statistics. You put in the age that, or the, the year that you were born, the, the date that you were born. You put in whether or not you're really stressed out. You put in your BMI, and, and then it, it, it calculates for you, if you will, how much longer you have to live. And so naturally, when I found this, I tried it out, right? And so I went in, and I put the months, and I put the dates, and I got down, I put the BMI, which is a little higher than it used to be, and then I got to the stress part, and I put, I'm moderately stressed because I'm a pastor and I know Jesus works through all things, but sometimes you guys are stressful. And so, so I put that a moderately stressed right there. And then I went down and I waited a moment because I was like, man, I, really, I don't know that I really want to click this. Uh, but then I clicked it anyway. And sure enough, it scrolls through this little stupid thing and it pops up and it gives me the date that I'm going to die. And so I want to share with my wife in front of all you guys um, the day that I will cease to exist is Monday. It's comical that it happens the day after a Sunday. So Monday... April the 17th, 2056. So I got, a, I got a little while left, but according to the death clock, that is when life is going to end. It, when it gives you the date, it, it says this along with it. This is the Internet's friendly reminder that you will die. 
Just a little reminder in case you forget that at some point all of us are going to take our last breath, our heart is going to quit beating, our brain is going to stop operating, and we will die. We will die. We don't like to talk about it. We don't even like to call it by its real name, do we? We, we don't say people died on such and such a date, or we don't say we're going to a funeral service. We're even changing the name of funeral services to, they, they, it's a homegoing, right? I'm going to a homegoing. That, that, that's a homegoing. They went home. They went home. We will say things like, they went to be with Jesus. And for some people, that's true. Look, let's be honest. For some people, it's not. We say they're pushing up daisies if we're comical. My favorite is the one my granddad taught me when I was a teenager. So we're cutting grass in his yard, and he got up in age where he couldn't, couldn't really take care of things anymore, but he still liked to point out everything that you did wrong. And so he's out there as I'm cutting grass, and he's showing me everything that I should have done better. And uh, this guy pulls up in the side of his yard, right beside his house, pulls up, and he waves us over. And he lets the window down, and me and my granddad walk over, and my granddad sticks his head inside the truck, and he goes, Dude, I thought they planted you three days ago. <laughs> and then they carry on a conversation like nothing that happened. He pulls off, and I looked at my granddad. I said, If they plant him, is he going to grow back? Like, I don't understand what you think is going to happen. Just say the word. Like, people die. At some point, people will say it about you. That they're dead, and here's the truth. Look, I, this is going to be great. You guys are like, thanks for the pump up this morning. At some point, you will die, and people will forget that you even existed. At, at some point, you will die, and it may be 20 years after you die. It may be 30 years after you die. It may be 50. It may even be 100. But at some point, people will forget that, that I, Daniel Bridgman, walked on the face of the earth. They will not remember that I was married to a fabulous lady named Erica and had an amazing daughter named Madison. They will remember absolutely none of that. They will forget me, but here's the deal. In the little bit of time that I have to live, I have the ability to outlive my memory. Right? I can live in such a way that even when people forget that I live, that there is still an impact being made for the cause of Jesus because I was alive for a little while. Because I was alive for a little while. Look, it is my goal. It is my goal in life to make an impact that far outlives my memory. One day, without a doubt, I will cease to exist. My brain will cease to function, which is great, and right? And, and my heart will stop beating and blood will quit flowing through my body. But listen, my body will be dead, but I'll still, I'll still be alive. Death is certain. It is certain and it's permanent. Here's the way the writer of Hebrews said it. He said, just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. Look, the truth again is one day we will cease to be here and we will step into eternity. And our eternity is determined by what we do with Jesus while we're here. Our eternity is determined by what we do with Jesus while we're here. Look, and that's why some of you are here today. But you're not here by an accident. It wasn't an accident that you walked in. It wasn't just because a friend invited you. But you're here today because God wanted you in this room and He wanted you to do some business with His Son named Jesus that will help determine what you do for all of eternity. Unless there are people in this room today, listen to me, believers, if you're in here, I want you to know this. There are lost people in this room today whose eternity is going to be changed because you made the effort to invite them here. It's going to happen. There are people who are going to step from death to life, and they're going to do business with Jesus today, and it's going to determine what their eternity 
looks like after this. So we know that death is certain and that it's permanent. We also know this, according to Scripture, that at some point the soul and the body will separate. At some point the the soul and the body will separate. It'll happen. So you're two parts. You're a body, which is, which is what we see, right? And some of us have nicer bodies than others. Like some of you guys are gifted with, with some of this stuff like I got, right? And you're strong and you're handsome and you're good looking. And, and uh, No, I'm kidding. That's not me, right? That's some of you guys. And then some of us are gifted like I am. And we're just, we're just average people. Everybody's body is different. But look, the body really isn't that important because one day it'll cease to exist. But you do have a soul that will live forever. You have a soul that will live on Forever. Matter of fact, jot this down. You're, you're not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. You are a soul with a body. It isn't as if God created your body and then gave you a soul. God created your soul and then he gave your soul a body. And so your soul will exist always. Your soul will exist always. You might want to jot this in the margin somewhere. That there was a time you didn't exist. Right? There was a time that God chose to to create you in the fabric of time, he looked down and he said, I'm going to create you exactly the way that you are. He chose to create you at some point in time and you came into existence. So there was a time that you did not exist, but there will never be a time from now on that you don't exist. There will never be a time that you don't exist again. There will be a time your body quits, but Scripture says over and over and over and over again that we were created for eternity and that your soul will live on Forever. And so, so forever means, listen, there's a Greek word for forever, and it's forever, and it means forever. That's what it means, that there is no end to it. You will exist forever. We were created to live forever, and that is exactly what we will do. Listen, one day people will stand over my casket, and they'll talk about me. Right? You, you probably have that whole visitation thing that goes on, and people will walk by, and they'll look in, and they'll say, he looks so good. No. Right? Don't, don't say that about me. Just go, yep, he's gone. Right? It's over. Walk by and just say he's gone. Maybe share a memory. Go, man, I, I really didn't like when he preached, but they snuck him in on me all the time. So there, there he is right there. And just you'll walk by and people will tell stories about me and they'll tell stories about you when you're there and, and your body will be dead. Listen to me, but you will be more alive than you've ever been. Your body will be as dead as it's ever been, but your soul will be more alive than it ever was when it was actually contained within your body. You are a soul, and at some someday the soul and the body will separate. Jesus said this in Matthew 10 about it. He said, do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Look, he's making a distinction, but they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul, again, a distinction, and body in hell. And then in John 11, he's talking to Martha, and he says this, He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Look, he's not talking about their body coming back alive. He's talking about their soul living even after they have died. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her this question, do you you believe that, Martha? And so we know this. We know that death is certain, that it's permanent, that we have a soul and and we have a body, and at some point, at the time of death, they will, they will separate. So the moment that, that your body ceases to exist, your soul goes into eternity. And what happens next is, Scripture tells us that we will all face judgment. We'll all face judgment. So when we breathe our last and our soul steps into eternity, 
will face judgment. Each of us, you'll face judgment after you die. Hebrews put it this way, same verse we read earlier, said, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, you die and you stand before judgment. There's not a holding pattern. There's not a holding period. It literally is you breathe your last breath and now you are standing waiting on the judgment uh, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You step into judgment. That's a pretty important meeting. Raise your hand if your life ever requires you to go to meetings. Right? Come on, raise them. Right? right? You have to go to meetings sometimes. Leave your hand up if you like them. Leave your hand up if you like them. Right? No. Yeah, I'm all alone. Man, I love meetings. Like I do. I like going to meetings. I like the camaraderie that is built in meetings. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you don't like meetings, it may be because the person leading them, if this is you, no offense, if the person leading them may not be leading them well. Because you can lead a meeting in a way that it's fun and productive. I like sitting in a meeting. I like digging into issues. And I like solving problems. And I like walking out of a room knowing that something is about to happen and things are about to change. But I don't like meetings that I don't know why I'm there. Can't stand them. I absolutely do not. You guys sometimes will call, make appointments. And, and Kendra, who is our executive assistant, she, every time she goes, hey, why would you like to meet? Why would you like to meet? Look, it's not by accident. It's because nobody on staff at Journey Church wants to walk into a meeting and not know what they're walking into. You want to know what you're walking into. You want to be prepared for it. And so one Sunday, we were here, and, and we finished up church, and we did the things we had to do to close up. And, and Erica, my wife, and, and I went to my in-law's house. And we went and we ate lunch, and on the way I knew that, that we had to have a meeting with someone who was on staff, and so I texted them. And I also knew it had to be super early. So I texted a, a person on staff, and I said, hey, I need you to come in at 6.30 in the morning, and I need you to come to Pastor Mike's office. And then I put my phone down, and I didn't pick it up the rest of the day. And he texted back, why? And then he called like eight times, and I didn't have my phone with me. And I realized later on at about midnight, I was like, I didn't tell him why he needed to come in. And I was like, hi, it's late. He's probably already in bed. And so I just went to bed, and I slept good that night. He did not. He, <laughs> he didn't sleep real good. In fact, he walked in the next morning. I was like, hey, dude, uh, how was your night? And he goes, it was horrible. It was horrible. Like, dude, why am I in here? And I was like, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. And we got done. I said, dude, I apologize. Like, I totally, I totally forgot to tell you why we were meeting, and I explained the situation to him. Like, I literally did not have my phone with me, and he goes, dude, I thought I was going to die last night. <laughs> like, I thought my life was over. I was like, you didn't sleep at all? No, I did not sleep at all. I don't even think he went to bed. I think he sat up on the couch all night long wondering why it was he had to be in Pastor Mike's office at 6.30 in the morning. Look, so he's walking into a meeting that he knew nothing about and one he wasn't prepared for. That's not fair for me as a leader to put that on him, and God doesn't put that on us. He tells us right now, he says, look, I want you to know that when your body is done, you're stepping into a meeting. And it will be the most important meeting of your existence. There is absolutely nothing you will ever do that is more important than that meeting when you stand before Jesus. There is a meeting coming, and we as believers, and you as an individual, as a human being, you ought to be getting ready for that meeting. You've got to get ready for it. Here's what happens at the end of the meeting. It's pretty clear. It's, it's one of two options. It's not really popular to talk about in the church today. But, but the first option is this, is that those who have not trusted Jesus will experience an eternity separated from God in hell. 
So that, that isn't fun, right? That's not a pump me up, but it's the truth of Scripture. And it's also true that Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven. He wanted people to know, but it's a real place, and I'm making a way that you don't have to go there. And so I'm going to tell you about it, that it's actually an option, that people who go and decide they don't want anything to do with Jesus, that eternity for them is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell, a place that was not created for you and I. It was created for the angels and for Satan who rebelled against God. God don't want anyone to go there. And you might be asking, well, why would he send anyone there in the first place? He doesn't. God doesn't send anyone there. We choose to go there. We choose to go there. And the truth of eternity is this. It's when we step into eternity, we just get in greater measure what we wanted and lived for here on this earth. So if you wanted separation from God and you didn't want to live according to His standards while you were here on earth, then you step into eternity, listen, and that's what you get. You get an eternity separated from God, the one that you didn't want anything to do with, the one that you didn't want to live for. It's an eternity in utter darkness. And maybe you're going, well, maybe that's maybe I just want to go there, right? Maybe I want to go there and, and hang out with all of my buddies, and maybe that, that's where I actually want to spend eternity. Revelation 20 put it this way. It said, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That doesn't sound like a fun place to hang out with your buddies, right? It doesn't. I can guarantee you that it's not. In other places in Scripture, he describes hell as utter darkness. So your buddies can be there and you won't even know it. You won't know it. You won't be able to see them. It won't be like you're having a fun party and you're just doing all the debauchery that you always wanted to do. Listen, it is a world separated from God. His presence absolutely is not there. It is a real place. And those who refuse Jesus and refuse God while they're here, eternity for them is an eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. But listen, for those who receive the forgiveness offered through Jesus, the gift is eternal life with Him in heaven. Eternity for them, for us, is eternal life in heaven. It is a continuation of what we wanted, right? In life, we chose to surrender our life to Jesus. Look, I'm not talking about living perfect. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking even about your good outweighing your bad because I'd be willing to bet that your bad will always outweigh your good. You throw your thoughts in there, then I guarantee you that the bad will always outweigh the good. I'm talking about someone who realized that they were a sinner, chose to trust Jesus for forgiveness, and tried to walk with Him day by day. And so our heart and our desire is to walk with Jesus. And so when we step into eternity, listen, what we get is Jesus at a measure that we never imagined. We get what we lived out here at an even greater measure. Look, two options. We'll be judged. At the end of that judgment, we will step into eternity and go one of two places. We will either go to hell or we'll go to heaven. And I guarantee you that Jesus' desire for you, God's desire for you, is for you to spend an eternity with him. In John, it said it this way. Jesus said this. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. But three simple truths. Death is certain and it's permanent. You have a soul that will live on forever. And one day, 
when the body ceases to exist, that soul will stand in judgment before God. So what do we do with that? What does, what does any of that mean? Look, it means this. If you are an unbeliever, it means you should be scared of death. Look, I'm not trying to frighten you into a relationship with Jesus, but I love you enough to tell you the truth, that if you are an unbeliever, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, then it's clear that, that if you're that person, then you should, be, you should be terrified, just the same way that I was. You should be terrified to step into eternity because it's clear what will happen. You should be terrified of it. But if you are, but if you are a believer... It means that you have absolutely nothing left to fear but God. There's absolutely nothing that you have to be afraid of. You can do anything. You can accomplish anything. Here's why Paul talks about it. Paul lived this kind of weird life where, where they would come to him and they'd go, Paul, quit preaching the gospel. We're going to put you in prison if you don't. And he goes, man, would you? Right? Would you put me in prison? I've been writing this letter to the Thessalonians for a long time. I need to finish it up. So if you'd put me in there and I'd finish it up. And, and they'd throw him in jail. And that's what he would do. He'd write letters to churches. And he would continue to have an impact for the cause of Jesus. They would not arrest him. And he would continue to go and share the gospel of Jesus with all kinds of people. And it didn't matter what happened in his life. He knew that God was going to use it. And I want you to know, it wasn't something special to Paul. That, that's available to me and you also. We don't have to be afraid of anything because whatever happens in our life, Jesus is going to use it. Several years ago, I was in Las Vegas doing uh, a mission trip. We were partnering with some churches there, and one of the pastors had on a shirt, and, and I walked up to him. I said, hey, Dave, what does your shirt mean? Like, tell me what that means. On his shirt, this statement you guys are going to write down here in just a minute. Uh, on his shirt, it simply said, Jesus wins. It said, Jesus wins. And he said, it means this, that whether I live or die, Jesus wins. He said, we had a member, a church member that was battling cancer, and, and we began to pray and to walk through it. And one day we came to the realization that if God chooses to heal her, that we view that as victory, when also if God chooses not to heal her, she's going to be with Jesus. That's an even greater victory than being healed. Right? In either case, Jesus wins. He wins. And look, I get the society where we want to say that, hey, it isn't about winning or losing, right? It's about how you play the game. And I hope your kids play sports with integrity and with character and all of that. But look, let's don't lie to them. Let's be honest. It's more fun to win, right? It's more fun to win. Nobody walks onto a basketball court and they're like, man, I hope I get beat like a drum, right? How much fun will that be? No, we want to win. And I'm here to let you know as a follower of Jesus that you've already won. It's over. Jesus conquered it. He hung on a cross. He died. He was put into the ground. He stayed there for three days. And then he did something nobody else in humankind has ever done. He got up. He got up. He walked out of the grave. He conquered death. And now no matter what happens in your life, it's a victory. Jesus wins. You get diagnosed with cancer and you get healed. Man, hallelujah. Jesus wins. If you get diagnosed with cancer and your body whittles away and at some point you breathe your last, you step into an eternity with Jesus. You win. You win. No matter what happens, there is victory and Jesus will always, always win. Here's what Scripture says about it. Paul said this. He said, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die, 
for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Look, that's Paul going, hey, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It would be better for me if my life just ended because I know I would be with Jesus. But I'm also torn because I feel like there's still things that Jesus wants me to do. And so if I stay, I accomplish more for the cause of Christ. If I go, then I go to be with Jesus. In either case, in either case, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Look, I want you guys to know this, that whatever it is that God has called you to do and fear has been holding you back, it doesn't have to hold you back anymore because ultimately Jesus is going to win. You can do anything that God has called you to do because whether it succeeds or fails, Jesus wins. He wins. He gets the glory, and the victory has already been won. Listen, we're just living out the celebration. We're just living out the celebration. Isn't that the best part? You put in the work, you win the championship, you get Gatorade dumped on your back, right? It's over. It's over. Jesus has won, and we're just living out the victory march. So for 18 years, I've been doing some sort of, of pastoral work, and sometimes it's really fun, and, and to be honest, sometimes it's really hard. And in those 18 years, I presided over a lot of funerals. And there were a few. There were a few where you stood behind a casket and you shared about the person's life. And, man, you were truly excited and thankful for them. They lived a full, whole life, and they, you knew they had stepped in eternity to the Lord that they loved and served. But I'm going to be honest with you. More times than not, you're trying to figure out how to take the saddest moment in someone's life and not bash their loved one at the same time because they refuse to live for Jesus. And I've been in a room with a lot of people as they, 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 they were in their final moments, taking their final breath. And, and the most gut-wrenching thing that I ever experienced was being in a hospital room with a 20-something-year-old who was about to, to, to breathe their last breath. It was obvious that death was coming. And when you're 20, you don't think that anybody will be breathing their last, right? You don't want to experience it. And as a 22-year-old pastor, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And I was standing in the room, and she looked up at me, and she said, Daniel, will you help me? And I remember looking back and asking her, what is it that you need? And she looked back at me with her eyes open. She's in and out of consciousness. At this moment, they were as clear as they were the whole day. And she looked at me. And she said, I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. And then she said again, will you help me? And there was absolutely nothing that I could do. Look, I want to leave with this. I want you to know this because it will change the way that you live. That at some point, whether you're in your 20s, your 40s, your 50s, your 70s, your 80s, or your 90s, at some point that will be you. That will be you. And I would suggest as we finish up today that you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Like until you've cemented this thing, until you know what eternity is going to be for you, you're not really ready to live life in the first place. So there are a couple of next steps we, 
we want to walk through. I want you to walk through. And the first one is this. It's if, if you're not a believer, then your next step is this, to prepare for eternity by accepting the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. That's it. Man, it's to accept the forgiveness and, and your eternity will be certain. Scripture tells us this. It tells us that we're all sinners. Right? I don't think I have to convince you that, that we've all messed up. We've made mistakes. We've missed the mark that God wanted us to, 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 to hit. And it tells us that the punishment for that, the wages of that, is death. And that's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect life and He hung on a cross and He died so that you won't have to. And He was buried in a tomb. And after three days, He got up and He conquered death so that you and I could live forever. He paid the price. And He offers the free gift of eternal life to me and you. That is your next step. If you've never trusted Jesus, listen, don't walk out of this room without trusting Him as your Lord and Savior and putting your eternity in His hands. He is the only one, the only one who can handle it. Listen, if you are a believer and you're in this room, then, then your next step is this, to begin living without fear. This is the next step to the entire series that we've done, that you would begin living without fear and accomplish the things that God has placed inside of your heart. So again, I would ask, what is it that God has put inside of you that He's called you to do and you keep pushing the brakes on it because you're afraid of how it will impact your life or you're afraid of how it will turn out? Look, ultimately, Jesus is going to win. Fear doesn't matter. And so whatever He calls you to do, you can go and you can do it with confidence because you know He has already, already won the victory. Hey, would you guys pray with me and just close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment? God, we thank you for the gift of life. God, I thank you that, that this, this life that we're living here and now is just temporary. But it's not it. Lord, at some point, and really what won't, what won't be long, all of us will step into eternity. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word that that is when, that is when real life begins. God, would you be with us the next couple of moments? Would you draw people to yourself? God, call people from death to life. If you're in this room, if you would, just, just keep your heads bowed, eyes closed for, for just a moment. If that first next step is for you, if you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus with your eternity, you've never asked Him to forgive you and to be your Lord and Savior, you want to do that today, you want to walk out of this room going, I'm sure of my salvation and I'm sure... I'm sure that when my life comes to an end, whenever that may be, that I'm going to be with Him. If that's you, you want to make that decision today, would you just lift your hand? I don't want to embarrass you or call you out, but I do want to pray for you and share with you some next steps that, that you can take. I see you. I see your hand there. Anyone else? I see you over there. God bless you. Anyone else? Hey, it takes courage to lift your hand in the air, but listen... Because you won't ever regret it. Saying, Lord, today would you take me from death to life? I see you. God bless you. And hands all across the room. God, thank you for calling people to yourself. Hey, if that's you, if you just, just lifted your hand, would you look at me for just a moment and just make eye contact? Hey, you just made the best decision of your life. You made the best decision of your life because it is a decision that is going to change your eternity. 
It's not complicated. I'm going to invite you guys to pray with me. It seems super simple, but it's all that's needed. So if you would, you can say this prayer after me. You, you can just say it uh, in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. God, God hears you. He hears you. Say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to make me new. Today I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, thank you for what you've just done in this room. God, thank you that every week you continue to draw people to yourself and you continue to bring about new life. Hey, if you just said that prayer, I want you to know there's something we want to do for you. And it takes a little courage on your part, but if you would, if you would stand up and go to our VIP room back here in the back of the room where the gray doors are, there's some some folks that just want to celebrate with you. We want to put some free gifts in your hand, and we want to walk you through some next steps and what you can do now that you've began that great relationship with Jesus. You can stand up now and go back there, or when we close out the service in just a minute, you can stop by, but but make sure you stop by there. We want to celebrate with you, and we just we want to help you know what's next. Now that you've accepted Jesus and you have a new life, what, what happens next and what's the, the change for you? Hey, for others of us in this room, we've been following Jesus for a long time. Right now, I talk to people every week as we go on the way out of here and they go, hey man, I've known for years that this is what God wanted me to do. And every story is different. Sometimes I've known for years that God wanted me to go into ministry and I've ran from it. Some of it is I've known for years that God wanted me to change jobs or he wanted me to start volunteering or serving here. Whatever that is, whatever that is, your step, don't you dare let Satan hold you back anymore. Fear is a liar and there's absolutely nothing that you have to be afraid of. Take that next step. Live it out. Serve the God who called you to himself. Lord, thank you again for who you are and for what you do. In Jesus' name.